Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Why? Welcome back to Real the Roost podcast. Let's have it. Um, I'm your host, The Trunk, joined by Mr. Raj Baines. How you doing, mate? I'm fine, thank you very much. Apologies for leaving you in the lurch last week. That's all right, mate. You were, you were poorly, weren't you? you had a... I was. Uh, yeah, I had like a weird allergic reaction to something, even though I'm not allergic to anything. And uh, I was off work for a few days and stuff. It was uh, a very strange period. Did you, uh, you went on some pretty wacky drugs, didn't you? Was there any <laughs> yellow submarine type moments? Uh, no, it was just sort of steroid stuff because uh, it was a un sort of unknown allergic reaction. Like the, it was weird because I almost felt as if the doctor was sort of guessing as well while he was speaking to me, which isn't the most reassuring thing. I was going to say. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. They were fairly strong, and uh, I will come on to them when we speak to speak about the national later on and seeing them live because I think it made, in lieu of drinking alcohol, I was on some other substance and it, it did exactly the same trick. Were you? Uh, did you get rage? How, how do these sort of steroids differ from the you know the ones that blokes inject into their bollocks or whatever they do to? They put it in their ass, as far as I'm aware. Um, cause it was a, I used to uh, work with a guy who was put like competition sort of steroids into himself, uh, because he was into that sort of shit. And, um, yeah, I think he put it in his ass. So was he an angry man? He was weird. Yeah. He, he constantly would go on about, um, his, uh, sexual prowess and nobody would really listen to him. He was one of those who, like, if there was a new young starter, like a young girl, he was sort of one of those guys who was in his early thirties, but didn't really speak about it. So most people assumed he was younger because he wasn't as far up in the company as he should have been at that age. Um, and he sort of, yeah, was uh, very leery around girls that he was, um, he had no business being around. Is it Wayne Lineker? Uh, no, but he had the same for him. Did he? That's yeah. Unsurprising. Mm. Um, speaking of Wayne's, we just smashed a load of Wayne's 3 2 in. Uh, What's a Wayne? Yeah, you know, just like Wayne. Like, you know, it's, I'm just. I'm, I thought it was a Cockney thing. I, I, I didn't, I've never heard of it before. No, I'm just doing like a sort of uh, <laughs> working class derisory swipe thing, which I'm allowed to do. Yeah, you go uh, for it, mate. Proper, proper people, me. 
Um, but in, no, it's just like, you know, you sort of say like Wayne or Sharon or that sort of thing. I've genuinely never heard of it. In my might life. be, might be something from around this way. Um, but yeah, we fucking smashed our stand, mate. That was, uh, was a bit of a relief, wasn't it? Um, Harry Kane at the double. It was eventually a relief. Uh, at first, it seemed as if it was going to be uh, far easier than it turned out to be until uh, Serge let his inner idiot out. But apart from that, it was fair enough. I'm just glad we won it in the end. It was, you know, what should have been unbridled sort of joy and schadenfreude turned into relief, which uh, was somewhat worrying, but, uh, you know, a win's a win. They were so close to doing it, weren't they, as well? Coming back, I, I actually, I was waiting for it. I thought they were going to do it um, by the end. Uh, Lorente, I thought he came on and actually did a, did a decent job, sort of pissing them off, winding them up, wasting a nice bit of time at the end, um, which kind of plays he, into some of that stuff we were saying when we first signed him about that added experience that he has in those, perhaps in those sort of fixtures. Maybe I'm. Maybe it wasn't as intentional as that, but it certainly felt that way. Yeah, I mean, he has got us a charge for failure to control our players, so there is a downside to it. But it worked in the moment. He got in their faces and sort of let them bubble over in a way that they shouldn't have done, and and that probably contributed to us winning. So you can't really fault him. Would you make of Mark Noble squaring up to Mrs. Soka? You know, Mark Noble's a pound on footballer. So he's awful, isn't he? He's fucking awful. He's dog shit. So um, I don't mind. Matt Noble can do what he wants because he doesn't matter. He's irrelevant. Do you? Uh, are you? The West Ham fans even hate him. Like his old fan base. Like I thought he's like, like a, their hero. No, they they genuinely they want him out of the team. They laughed at the fact that he would been to there so long. He'd got a testimonial. There's like a, a real core of their fan base that have a passionate dislike for him. There's probably the Brexit dad wing, I say wing, majority of their fan base that like him, but there is definitely people online and whatnot that are sort of embarrassed that Mark Noble is still central to everything they do. Do you, uh, you buying into the Musa Sissoko hype yet? I mean, we'll talk about the It's Champions been fucking League two games, extra. mate. It's been two games. Polino had two good games. Soldado had two good games. I'm not going to get sort of too hyped up. I mean, it's, it's positive because, you know, he's no longer an active you know, actively detracting from what we're attempting to do on the field, which he was previously. But I feel the bar is so low for what we expect from him. And, you know, we're urging him to do better in, in such a manner that um, he needs to be doing so consistently and actually having standout performances for us to think there's any real change. I don't think there's been a, a large enough sample size as yet. They've still It's only been like one or two games since... Um, it was, you know, he was still crap. So, um, I mean, consistent. I mean, it doesn't really matter. We don't need to regiment it in this fashion because it's our pod. And we can do whatever the fuck we want. Um, because he, you know, he, he he played all right against APOEL, Apple, whatever they're called, um, in the Nick Champions is, yeah. League. But yeah, like you say, I think it's. It, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm happy for the lad if he's doing a bit better, but to me, it's still like, what's he, what's he really actually doing that's that brilliant? It seems to be that he's gone from like 
a two out of ten player to a sort of six out of ten, which, yeah, all right, is better. But you know, does that by any means right? My my example is right. You look at Harry Winks, who's dropped in after eight months, and you can tangibly see like he brings something else to the team. His passing was probing. He was, you know, making himself an absolute nuisance in that midfield. He was, you know, recycling possession very quickly and effectively, like we sort of have come to expect from him. Um, He was just decent. He was an all-round kind of decent addition. It seems to be something that we maybe, you know, don't have from from anywhere else in that position, at least um, in our team. Whereas Sissoko just seems to be a lad in a shirt that can get the ball and carry it a bit, but still has pretty dodgy touch. His passing isn't all that decent. The teammates, the people around him, like I don't think Kane, for example, really trusts him. Um, sort of seems to pass up on a few opportunities to release him or give him the ball. I never really see him sort of do anything that meaningful other than sort of picking up the ball, going forwards a bit, and then playing a sort of safe pass. Um, which, again, is all right. And I'm not I'm not sort of... I, I know we're, sh- we're short on bodies and that kind of thing, but I just I just don't think there's as much of a player there, really. Um, I mean, perhaps, you know, it, 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 right, it, I'm not going to ignore the fact he is improving because he does seem to be improving, even if that, you know, what he's improved to still isn't a particularly good footballer. Um, but it does seem to coincide as well with us bringing Aurier in. And I think they were they were teammates before, weren't they, in France? Toulouse, I think. Yeah. Is that when they, were they part of that team that won the league? Because they did a bit of a Leicester City, didn't they, Toulouse? Uh, I think years, that's Montpellier, but... isn't it? Is it? Well, well, fuck it then. Um, <laughs> so let me Google it. I'm not sure my knowledge of French football isn't the greatest. So you may well be correct. Which one? Which is the one that Giroud came from? That's Montpellier. Are you thinking of Montpellier? Probably then, yeah. Yeah, that was Montpellier. Because Giroud was like the leading light that took... He yeah. was he was the Vardy, wasn't he? Yeah, Toulouse have never won league on, so it was Montpellier you're thinking of. Yeah. Fucking horrible orange and blue kit. But yeah, um, fuck me, yeah, Sissoko. Mental owner as well at uh, Montpellier. He's dead now, but he was meant. <laughs> and the only reason I bring up the fact he was dead is because um, when Huddersfield was signing Steve Mounier, um, his, contra- his deal was delayed being announced about four or five days because his deal was complete on the day the owner died. So Montpellier obviously didn't want to announce their top striker leaving um so close to the announcement of their owner's death so they were um not wanting to bury the bad news if i'm going to use an indelicate turn of phrase yeah uh so essentially huddersfield owned this guy for about a week without being able to tell anyone christ hmm. um harry kane mate let's let's just do it again let's just go there another hat trick and this time in the Champions League, top scorer in the Champions League, it might be different after tonight, but um, at the time of recording this, leading goal scorer in the Champions League, the boy is an absolute phenomenon, isn't he? Yes, yeah, he is. Um, Tottenham were dog shit against Apoel. Really well, especially. really awful. It was terrible. Is it as bad as they've ever played under Pochettino? Yeah. Um, 
but the only reason they won that game is because Harry Kane plays for them. Uh, and it was one of those where he literally grabbed it by the scruff of the neck, took every opportunity he had. And that scoreline flatters us because it, if it would have been 3-0 to Apoel, I don't think we could have had any complaints. No. I genuinely don't. I think we were that flat. We, we weren't doing anything. And it was only when he sort of clicked into life and sort of realised that he's able to do that and take over a game that it happened for us. And it was majestic to see the finishes were, you know, it wasn't as if he's smashing 30 yarders in, but they were clinical to the extreme. Um, just you had no doubts when he got into those positions that he was going to score. Left foot, right foot, header, he was, you know, perfect hat-trick. It was an absolute joke. And, you know, the fact that this kid was someone we made a meme when he first came through, we laughed at, uh, we shouldn't forget because it's not as if this was ever what anybody expected. This isn't the, the ending we anticipated. We thought he might play 10 games here or there. He might score a deflected free kick against Aston Villa. We'll join this little joke while it lasts for six weeks. But it's, what, three, four seasons later now and he's still the best striker in the country and he's getting better with every game. It's One of the best in Europe now, easily. Easily? Well... He's doing it on the highest stage in Europe. There's nothing else he can do apart from perform for England, which he's sort of somewhat hamstrung by the talent around him. Um, he he does everything he can. And uh, yeah. He's still got an all right return for England as well, to be honest. He does. He does. He, he's got a, he's, there's nothing, there's no real stick to beat him with anymore. There's nothing there. Um, whatsoever really there's no real gaps in his game there's nothing you can point to and say that you know oh this is something that he's got to improve on before he's world class or anything like that because he is up there already he's in that conversation the fact that people are are starting to say that you know it's no longer ridiculous to compare him to the very best in the world is perfectly fine by my money you know there's there's few players in the world who can do what he do does on the football field and you see when uh when he got taken off toward the end he was fucking livid as well he just bagged his hat trick and you could tell he was not happy to be being taken off last night and that's just that's the measure of the bloke isn't it you know he just he wants to play football he loves it and he just wants to keep scoring and he's he's, he's just so driven he's a machine um, it's probably a bit of a weirdo as well, to be honest. I think any any of those sort of young players, your Bales, Ronaldo's, Canes, and such, who pass up the sort of lifestyle that that you know their wage and status could probably afford them to go to bed early or train extra hard. Well, we've had this conversation many a time. Though. We'd be we we would likely be the Jack Wilshers of the world if we were given that talent and that you know lifestyle. We would be out doing things we shouldn't be doing. We wouldn't be, you know, stubbing fags out on taxi drivers, but we would be pictured with, you know, people we shouldn't be doing things we shouldn't be and, you know, being idiots essentially. But the fact that he has the mental rigidity to, you know, for, by all accounts, be a teetotaler, have his own little family that he takes care of, you know, but I think the most he goes out is to, what is it, um what's the place called the Indian in Chigwell that they all seem to go to yeah, yeah, yeah. she's or something Somewhere um, like that, forever pictured in there he seems to be living the same life off the field albeit with certain perks that he would be if he wasn't a footballer and I think that speaks volumes um we've said this before about 
characters like Brendan Rodgers and on the other extreme, Gareth Bale, in that, you know, that feeds into their success. There's a single-mindedness that comes with being that good at your profession. And they have it. You either have it or you don't, and, and they do. Yeah, long may it continue, mate. Is uh, oh, I just you know, I can't. I just it, it it's 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 inevitable, but it is quite frustrating as well that you know we're not just allowed to enjoy them. That the press seem intent on pushing this kind of narrative of Harry Kane's got to leave. He's got to leave Spurs. He's got to leave Spurs if he wants to, you know, realize his ambition. But you know. W- w- I just don't see like you know we we're challenging for the Premier League. We have done Forgive for the past me if I'm two wrong, seasons. Did, did anyone ever say this about Shearer? I mean, it's it's. I remember Alan Shearer playing, but I obviously wasn't following the coverage as, as intently as I do with Kane because I was, he, I was far younger. You may remember it better than I, but to a, to a degree, I think there was often quite a bit made of the fact, you know, yeah, he should have gone to United. He should have done that, you know, um, and you know maybe you. You can say he should have done, but the thing that Shearer always had as well is that he won the Premier League with Blackburn before he went to Newcastle. So he kind yeah. of he had that. And Newcastle that... were, I don't know, they were they were all right, not for his whole career, but when he first went there, they were all right, you know. Yeah, I mean, there was a bit of a sweaty win one at that Blackburn title. Um, so I'm not sure that would have that stands up to much today. But, um, but it's still no, it it's still like... having won the league though you know it's it's not it's yeah. unlike Gerard where you know he's sort of yeah. retired now well he won a Champions League to be fair so but mm. um, no I don't know I, I think I think things were a little bit different then as well there wasn't really there's always been hyperbole ever since like you know Sky came onto the scene and probably even before that with tabloid press and that but I don't think it was as as doped up as it is now, you know, when everything's sort of like, you know, you've got social media managers that are running to strict KPIs and, you know, traffic needs to be driven and clicks. What's a KPI of, for the uh, layman's Uh It is a key performance indicator. Um, what would that be when it's at home? That would be, so say, uh, an objective would be set in a little room somewhere by people that don't really engage with anything other than, the money or a sort of statistical view of what qualifies as a success or not. Um, it's generally devoid of any sort of creative uh, merit. It is just a case of, you know, you guarantee X amount of clicks or X amount of reach on this traffic uh, by any means necessary um, to ensure that, our messaging, our brand is being seen. Um, so, yeah, your KPI would generally be sort of, you'll set it down, the crisis is boring, but you set it down as like, you know, you, we guarantee that we will achieve this amount of reach or this many click-throughs on these articles or this much of an engagement. Um which then in turn means that these people who are usually internal can go forward onto sponsors or money people to say, stick your adverts on our website because we can guarantee you blah, 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 this many eyes, this many people clicking through. And thus the cycle of clickbait and money 
comes through because there is, I think there is a bit of a misconception that although, you know, it does play into it a bit that, you know, every time you physically click on a link, that's, that's how, you know, the mail get 2p every time you click on one of their links. It's not really the case. Like the mail are going to get their money anyway, because they've already sold the space to sort of sponsors and that, but you know, it's kind of a bit old school thinking that every click is actually worth an amount of money but i'm, I'm sure some of the you know there's going to be a contrarian that's going to say well actually there are still some uses of that but in in my experience at least that's uh that's how the kpi system has worked um where the fuck did that come from anyway where did uh, i don't know maybe you sound like here on the verges ringing fucking calms on after that i wish i'd never asked i know well mate that's that's been my life for like the past five years doing that sort oh. of shit which or is just which, to bring you back in. Oh, it's like it, asking a veteran about Vietnam. Yeah, it is, mate. Yeah, that's why I sort of packed all that in and have gone freelance, you know. But um, just uh, just to give everyone a little, you know, life update on. Uh, yeah. On, give Jack work. Yeah, please do creative stuff, please. You you see all of this is why I put all this fucking shit on Twitter and that. Like, yeah, you know, I need somewhere he'll to, sell his body for money. Vent. He's got a wedding to play for. I do, and I've got a Mac to fix and all. Oh, yeah, shit, yeah. Um, Harry Kane, basically. Fucking amazing. I wouldn't want to sell him at all. No, um, I don't think the club could. I genuinely think it it would be um, it would be the most difficult one they would ever have to do. I don't think from a political or um, sort of PR standpoint, it's something they can afford to do. It, unless it's... they're literally given more than Neymar was. That's literally the only way he can go it, if it's a, a ridiculous amount of money. Here's one for you. I'd just be interested to have your perspective on, mate, because just at least still, I maintain, in my opinion, like not so much about how much we get from these clubs, but in terms of like his desires and his sort of motivations, what he wants. To me, I think any any player at all struggles to turn down Barca or Real and I think I think he probably would you know for as a concrete offer there I think he would he would probably go to Barca or Real and I don't think we could hold that against him I don't really think there's anywhere else he would go to um other than and here's a curveball for you mm-hmm. how strong do you think his link is with Pochettino could you see Harry Kane going to a Pochettino-led PSG I don't know. With PSG's current front line, they don't appear to say Cavani. Be interesting. He goes like, yeah, Cavani, he's going to be the Cavani replacement. What would Harry Kane want to go do that? Be the guy who can't do what he wants because Neymar's going to tell him, and if he doesn't, then Neymar's going to go tell the owners to sell him. I think it would be a poor career move for Harry Kane if he did so. How about? Say so take take those. I'm talking more about his link with Pochettino. I don't think it's strong enough to go there. Unless uh, Pochettino is not going to take the Barcelona job, he may well be given the Real Madrid job. That's the only way I can see that happening. Is if is if that's a link we're going to make happen. It may be a Pochettino goes to Real Madrid and they buy Harry Kane as a make but I still see Dali Ali going to Real Madrid before Harry Kane does. Yeah, probably. Um... We've we've spoken about Deli Ali um, going and all that kind of thing, so I don't think we need to really uh, talk about that yeah. too much. It's a matter of uh, um, if not when. 
Not, um, not when, not if, sorry. I mean, I, I don't think he was... If Just jumping back onto West Ham, because uh, he was somebody that was sort of flagged quite a bit. Um, I don't think he was particularly poor, like a, quite a few people have made out. You know, he still assisted a goal, but he's, he's still not... He's still not quite clicked, has he yet? No, I, I think we had this similar sort of thing towards the start of last season. Though. I think people were going, "Oh, is he? Is it second season syndrome and all that?" I think he, in a similar way that Kane takes August to warm up. I think Dele Ali needs a bit more of a running start before he uses up on running. Um, you know, I don't think he'll be too amused at the fact that he's having to miss all these matches because he was a dick in the Europa League last year. But it serves him right, to be honest. Um, but he'll, he'll, he'll catch up eventually. I mean, he's he's more than good enough to to find that form again. Um, it's just a matter of him warming up. I've, I've got no concerns over him. I wouldn't drop him or anything or say he needs a break or anything like that. In just a case of as soon as he's found his feet, he'll be fine. And uh, one final point. Um, we need to talk about Hugo Lloris. Um, now, I don't think by any means Hugo Lloris is a bad goalkeeper. I think quite the opposite. Hugo Lloris is absolutely fantastic. Um, he's still by and far. I mean, all right. So he's not saving many at Wembley at the moment. We've sort of already spoken about that. Um, he made Nobody's it, doing much at Wembley already. No, but against, you know, Apoel, he, he had that horror moment, that real horror moment which luckily it didn't sort of punish us when he sort of came out to clear it and kicked it against i think all the world or someone and it nearly bobbled in um are we because he's had a couple of these sort of moments for france as well lately is this sort of bit of the beginning of the decline for him because i mean just you know don't get me wrong listeners or you Raj Baines, again, I'm not saying that's it, he's useless, let's flog Lloris immediately. But I'm saying two years' time, are we looking at probably needing a new goalkeeper now? Is it is this kind of where it starts for Hugo Lloris? Because you do often see this with keepers, they, they lose their confidence a little bit. It has been known. When your cat starts running into walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think we're quite at that stage yet. Even in that... Um... In that game where he kicked the ball at someone and almost let them score off the back of it, which was an absolute Gomez manoeuvre, um, he still saved Tottenham more than he put them in trouble. And he put them in trouble a couple of times with a bad kick, I think, at one point, and that particular moment I just referenced there. But there were still a couple of volleys and a couple of you know drives that otherwise would have put other keepers in trouble that he dealt with far better than most would. So it's not really a concern uh, still. Like we, we were texting about this last night and I'll say exactly the same as I did then. Tottenham cannot go out right now and find a better goalkeeper than Hugo Lloris that they can A, afford or B, wants to come. So what the only manner of replacing him there is possibly there is to find a young keeper on his way up that will eventually surpass him and you have to find the point where if... If Hugo Lloris is on a downward trajectory, you have to find a keeper who's on an upward trajectory that they cross paths at just the right time where it is worth Tottenham's while being rid of Hugo Lloris. And it's an incredibly uh, hard trick 
to to pull. Uh, it could just be that he's going through a bit of a, a tough season. If he has one bad year at Tottenham compared to how many good seasons he's had, and then you know we're in the new stadium next year and sort of he's feeling more at home and whatnot, it may be better for him. There is perhaps it's something I've only just thought of now, but maybe there's a question to be asked that you know we're playing more with three at the back than we have before. Obviously, the defense is fairly tight. The records are not bad. But in terms of his mistakes, maybe his erraticism is coming from the fact that he's more comfortable playing with four and he knows that system better and that's exactly what sort of he's spent his career doing and maybe he's overcompensating with, with something he's doing because we're playing slightly different systems and and the coaches are asking slightly different things of him in his role as a as a bit of a sweeper. I'm not sure. Um, but it's not one that I'm going to lose any sleep about. I'm not. Don't look at Hugo Lloris with any sort of dread or see his name in the team sheet and think, oh, he's going to have a rick here. It's it's just one of those where, you know, maybe he's having a bad week or two or there's a mistake here or there. But I, I, I definitely think one or two are laying it on a bit thick. Yeah. I'm, I'm not accusing you of that. Um, I do think there are slight reasons of concern, but it's not, not the end of the world by any means. I mean... There are there are goalkeepers all over the world that, that make mistakes that are still very good, you know. Buffon, the other was it in the Champions League had a bit of a nightmare with a couple of goals, but they wouldn't have been in the final if it weren't there without him. They're not kicking him out of net anytime soon, and you know it's just one of those where you've got to got to be careful what you you wish for because similar sort of thing with when we talk about the ownership and you know the fact that. We say Daniel Levy's, you know, more bad than he is good, and you don't know what's around the corner. Better the devil you know, and all that sort of thing. You you just don't know what's coming around the corner. So, um, I wouldn't wish him away for any reason. I think he's the best keeper I've ever seen play for Tottenham in my lifetime. I think um, most people should say that because yeah. it really is worth impressing the fact right now that even a Hugo Lloris in decline is miles miles better than what 95 percent of keepers in the league you know yes. he's he's obscene he's still obscene yeah, there are literally there are only two goalkeepers in the league i think you can make a legitimate case for being better than him um and that's De Gea and Courtois everyone else is is not anywhere close even Courtois got a few errors in him as well so. he does but he's but you if you wanted to make that argument you could yeah. his age and his size and you know what he's achieved in the game today are all things that play in his favor uh De Gea you know he doesn't need any more um praise because he, he seems to he's he's obscene now isn't he he's he's always been fantastic but it's just one of those where um I I mean I because when Hugo Lloris was at his very, very, very best and was literally saving Tottenham single-handedly when we had no defence, which is half the reason why I'm I'm willing to give him as much rope as I am now is because I remember the times where the only thing stopping goals going in was Hugo Lloris alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, poor bastard was in some shit teams. Um, this, you know, he wasn't given the praise he deserved then. And you know people are very quick to put a boot in now, so I'm I'm trying to be less fickle than that myself. Let's uh, let's move on. Um, we are going to play Huddersfield this week um, in the Raj the Raj Baines Derby, um, and we've well you found us a guest, so let's go over to the guest now. 
cute rooster noise. Hello, Rog Baines, and welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. How you doing, mate? Thanks for having me on, Jack. That's not too bad. This is quite a good banter, isn't it? <laughs> <I think. Yeah. laughs> um, you're uh, so. Why don't you tell the people you you're you're writing a book about Huddersfield Town, aren't you? I believe. I have written a book about Huddersfield Town. Yeah, that it's called Underdog. It's about last season when they got promoted, uh, and you can buy it in all good shops and bad shops and online places now. Uh, although I'd prefer you buy it through the publishers because Amazon don't pay their taxes. That's it. Fighting a good fight. Um, yeah. How is it? How's how's it been so far? How, how do you reckon it's been for Huddersfield in the Premier League? It's been all right, to be honest. I think the only complaints they've got is that they don't have more points, which is a nice position to be in, I imagine. Um, there have been a couple of home games where they should have done better in, um, and they, they've drawn them where they should have won. Uh, Southampton was definitely one. They were by far the better team for at least 95% of it, and Leicester as well. Uh, they had a perfectly good second goal ruled out for no apparent reason and they had uh, two points robbed from them there um so they could quite easily be four points higher up than they are currently and they're already in what sixth i think it is so uh, maybe eighth i can't remember they may have dropped after that last draw against burnley but they're doing perfectly fine i, mean, I don't think they'll be in any trouble whatsoever the only reason people are writing them off is because nobody had seen them play previously and they didn't know how good the manager was the system they were playing and essentially how competent the squad he's built is um the work they did over the summer was exemplary they had less time preparing than everyone else because they came up later through the playoffs but they essentially, from what I understand, had two lists, almost like red, blue, red pill, blue pill and matrix of this is championship, this is Premier League. The championship one, I imagine, would have resulted in David Wagner leaving and half the squad being sold to top end championship clubs or to the Bundesliga. Uh, but luckily, the other option was promotion and they've cracked on with that list perfectly. They've They've signed... Uh, Aaron Moy for 8 million rising to 10 from Manchester City is essentially the heartbeat of the side um, he does for town what I imagine it's, it's a hybrid between Christian Eriksen and Moussa Dembele he's the central creative hub uh, he does it from deep see the big BMP looking bloke yeah, he's Australian, uh, skinhead, yeah. He, uh, I'm not sure if he actually shaves it himself or he, if he's just got weak hair, but he did used to have hair, uh, but he just looks very strange without it. He's actually uh, he's one of the most mild-mannered men you could ever wish to meet. He's extremely quiet. He's the most reluctant face of a Premier League team you'll ever meet in your life. Um, if you picture, sort of, he's widely recognised as the best Australian player on the planet at the moment. I don't think there's any arguments about that. Um, he's in the conversation for best Australian players they've ever produced because uh, he genuinely is that good. Um, and he's quiet he doesn't like to talk about himself he's really shy he just goes home and you know he's got a nice young little family and he doesn't he doesn't interview well because he's quite shy and he's very timid and if you sort of picture in your mind what you think a leading Australian sportsman to be he's the complete and utter opposite because we're so used to sort of the stereotype of big brash cricketers sledging all that sort of shit rugby players Olympians and whatnot um, he couldn't be any different, and he, but he's a really pleasant person, a fantastic player. Um, I've said this several times now in several different mediums, but I cannot for the life of me know why 
Everton spent so much money on Gilfie Sigurdsson when they could have spent a quarter of it, if not less, on Aaron Moy and being a far better team for it. Um, so, uh, is yeah, let's go. Oh, no, 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 crack on. You ask the question. It's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say because he seems to have done the job. He sort of transitioned well over to the Premier League. Is there anyone in the team who was perhaps? you know, a lot more reliable in the championship who hasn't made the step up? Has ha, has there been any noticeable fall off from any of the playing staff on an individual level at least? Uh, I don't think so because they've recruited really well. So any areas in which there was weakness, they've sort of filled in and improved on. There's one or two members of the squad who just aren't getting a look in because I think it's understood that they're not good enough. So Joe Lolly, who was a rotation player last year, just... I, I imagine he will not see a kick of the ball in the Premier League because he clearly isn't of the level to be doing so. The only reason I imagine he's still at the club is because we couldn't find a, a proper loan out. Um, but, you know, the players that are there currently have, have all been as good as they could be in the Premier League, making that transition as well as possible. There have been one or two that have done even better than you'd assume. Um, there have been rocky patches for a couple. I think... Um, Right back, Tommy Smith in his first game, he could have been sent off against Crystal Palace, but he was that was his first game back since the playoff final properly because he'd essentially been injured and they didn't have a replacement right back until the week afterwards. So he had to play that game essentially and then uh, got subbed off, but he, he could have been sent off in that game because he was a bit of short of pace. Um, but other than that, they've been fine. The only questionable performance they've had is at West Ham. And the reason that was is it was their first game back at the Olympic Stadium. They had no points and they really needed to win. And Andy Carroll was back for the first time. It was piss wet through with rain for the entire 90 minutes. They were driving wins and all they did was lump the ball as high as they could at Andy Carroll. And they just pumped it that way. And... um for the first 45 minutes, Huddersfield couldn't really get a foot on the ball because all West Ham did was put it in the air again afterwards. And they were dog shit. Um, and Huddersfield kept them at bay. And then sort of midway through the second half, they got a deflected goal that bounced off someone's ass into the top corner. And they won 2-0 because they got a bobbly goal from a, a corner after it. And that was a bit of a fluke, to be honest. When they got their fluke of a goal, Huddersfield were actually getting into it because they'd sort of they'd stopped West Ham's primary negative motive long enough that they tried to play football and were panicking and, and regressing. And just as that was, the tide was starting to turn, they got a fluke, um, which was a real shame, to be honest, because uh, I imagine Huddersfield would have got a point at least had it not been for it. So their only defeat has been sort of, uh, is is easily explainable. So there's Yeah, they did seem particularly unlucky in that one. Yeah, there's there's nobody I would uh, I'd write off uh, as yet, um, to be honest. So what's the what's the sort of key tenant to this, mate? What is the key to Wagner's success? What 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 is he doing at Huddersfield that you know worked and is now working at the top level with, let's be honest, with all due respect, a squad that arguably has no place to be where it is at the moment. No, no, I think that's perfectly fair to say. They had the fourth smallest budget in the championship last season. Um, the wage bill was tiny. Uh, essentially, everything they've done has been a happy accident up until promotion. Um, so, you know, saying that isn't really negative. It sort of underlines just how improbable their success is. I think 
his main success is twofold in the championship. There is slowly starting to be more managers who are trying to play a better brand of football and, and coach more um, expansively. And he was one of them last season uh, that did so. Um, but I think identity is the central thing to what Huddersfield have done. Um, he's, he he has stock phrases he he talks in a lot because he's he although he speaks English he's not entirely confident with it because it's obviously his second language so there's one or two things he'll fall back into saying but I think he's he's saying them purposefully because he he knows what they mean the first of them is he says that you know he knows Huddersfield Town know who they are and they're not and they're not ashamed of where they come from and what he means by that is he knows that they're a small team and they know they're a small team and they're not going to start acting as if they're anything else so they're not going to get too big for their boots is what I think he's trying to say you know to the point which the training ground is actually open to the public so you get if you walk to canal side now which you can do it's actually next door to a mcdonald's if you go park up at mcdonald's drive through you can look over and watch the players training if you're tall enough um if you go in you can spend a fiver on a nanwich and sit next to christopher schindler while he's eating his team dinner so <laughs> that's how open the the place is dean hoyle the, the owner actually likes it that way because he thinks it keeps the the players and everyone at the club honest, because uh, he doesn't want everyone to to suddenly think they're celebrities or anything, even though they they sort of are now. Um, but what he did was he not a siege mentality, but I think he gave everyone a bit of a, a chip on the shoulder because um, when he first came in, he was obviously trying to play a brand of football that nobody was really used to or or knew. He didn't have his own squad. He was using Chris Powell's squad. So the results weren't really following, even though everyone could see the positivity in the football. Um, the, you know, they weren't winning the matches they should have been really. They were, they were the better team in matches they were losing. But, Everyone saw the promise in that. He got backed in the summer. They brought in players. He recruited from Germany and and from lower down the leagues. And they loaned well. Izzy Brown, Casey Palmer, Aaron Moy, Danny Ward and goal. They, they used the market as well as they really could have done. And suddenly they were, you know, a far better team than anyone expected. One of the things that um, really got on their tits was... Uh, before the season came out, Ian Holloway wasn't in the job and he was working as a Sky pundit and he backed them to be relegated, even though most people who'd kept an eye on them and seen how they were playing were backing them to have a crack at top half. I'd put a bet on top six because I'd spoken to David um, for a feature for 442 a few weeks before the season started and I was asking him about his goals and... Uh, he was keeping his cards very close to his chest, but I could tell from his demeanour that he was very uh, positive about what he was doing. So almost immediately after that interview, I put a double on Spurs to finish top four and uh, Huddersfield to finish top six and got a pretty penny back out of it. Um, but it's this central mentality they've got. They they know what they've got to do. They they work for each other. They, they want to prove people wrong. And this Ian Holloway thing, when he backed them to go down Wagner remembered it and used it as a motivating tool several times when they went down and played QPR when Holloway was back in management he used it again and they beat QPR because they wanted to essentially shove up his ass and again on playoff final day when they'd won one of the first thing he said in his, his post-match interview was uh, thanks to Ian Holloway for saying we were going to get relegated we'll enjoy ourselves in the Premier League next year so they've they know how to give themselves something to play for um, and they know how to sort of 
have a collective mentality and attitude and professionalism, um, which is, you know, few and far between in, in the championship, I think. I mean, he does weird sports science things that I'm not sure many other managers do. He he gets them to to train at exactly the same time they'll be playing games. So in the championship, obviously, you play a lot more evening games. So they're yeah. doing weird evening sessions and stuff. They would start training at 7.45 and shit like that because he wanted to match, sort of get their bodies into a... a uh, so what I'm looking for, cycle that was mm. similar to what it was going to be on a match day. So it wasn't a shock to the system. They've not they've not been training at 10 a.m. every day and then suddenly have to play at 7.45. They're, you know, sort of the finer margins are, are more queued up to what they were doing. Um, and just little things like that are, are what he introduced and double training and their fitness. They were quite easily the fittest team in the championship last year. They will again be one of the fittest teams in the Premier League this year. Um, perhaps not as fit as Spurs because if there's few managers who are as mad as Wagner on the training field, Pochettino's probably one of them. So it's going to be a bit of a batshit game. Uh, but I'm very much looking forward to that. We've had a question from Ollie at Ollie Coys who says, are Huddersfield's defence... What, uh, what does Coy stand for? Coming you Spurs. Um, I'm not aware as a lowly person from Huddersfield. <laughs> Are Huddersfield's defence actually as strong as they seem to be? Uh, yes, and um, surprisingly so. Uh, a lot of it is down to the keeper, Jonas Lossel, uh, who's coming from Germany. He was written off before he joined the club. Everyone who'd seen him play in the Bundesliga had said he was the worst keeper there and he was, you know, a walking disaster area. He shouldn't be touched with a barge pole and he's been absolutely fantastic since he's come to Huddersfield. He, How old he, is he? I think he's only late 20s. Um, but he's he's Danish number two and the only reason he's Danish number two is because Kasper Schmeichel's our number one. Interestingly, Kasper Schmeichel's actually conceded four times as many goals as Lossel in the Premier League this season. So that battle may be getting slightly tighter uh, as time goes on. But he's really tall. He's commanding his box really well. He's not made any um, stupid decisions. His distribution was something that people in Germany said was off, but he's actually been really positive with it since he's come to Huddersfield. And he seems to have settled in really well. Some of the saves he's been making, reflex and otherwise, have been sort of proper highlight reel stuff. There was one against Matt Ritchie against uh, Newcastle when they came to John Smith's that my season ticket seat's right in line of. And I said to Sykes, he sat next to me, as, as soon as he hit it and I saw a curve on ball and it going in far corner, I went goal. And out of fucking nowhere, Lossel's come over with a big hand and patted it round. I'm, genuinely, it was, it was like celebrating a goal. It were amazing to watch live. <laughs> um, so he's, he's very good. And the other reason is Christopher Schindler, who is absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's the guy who scored the penalty to get Huddersfield promoted. And afterwards, um, Dean Hoyle asked him, um, when they're having the celebrations, and goes, Christopher, I've never seen you take a penalty before. Why have you done that? And Schindler turned around to him and said, I felt a duty to you as your record signing. You know, you spent £1.6 million on me, and the club have never spent that much money on anyone before. I felt a duty to you um, to, to take that penalty because I knew how much it meant to you and the club. And, you know, he slotted it away, but I think that shows the measure of the man that he has the awareness in himself and his surroundings to, to take on that responsibility. 
and he's gone from strength to strength since. He's 27 years old. He's six foot two. He's built lean. He's he's fairly quick. Um, he's fairly strong. He's he's sort of a seven eight out of ten in every area rather than ten out of ten in any. And but he puts in ten out of ten performances every week. He's so reliable. He genuinely one of my favourite players to watch for town because he's consistently one of the standout players. It's actually going to be really interesting from a town perspective to see how he gets on against a Harry Kane because we've never seen him play against a player that good before. Um, I think that Kane will probably score 10 if he's on song, don't get me wrong. I'm quite looking forward to him doing so. Um, but, you know, the the players they've got at the back are really good. Christopher, uh, Christopher Lerva at left-back is really underrated. He's, again, really solid. Came from Kaiserslautern, I think, on the cheap again. Was a captain there, so he's he's... He's one of those players that because of his size and because he's quite quiet, um, people think he, there's not much to him, but he's secretly a bit of a bastard because he yeah. plays on the side where my seat is. I, I see him putting a bit of a cheeky one every now and then. I see him having a word with his opposite number and being a bit of a dick, and I really like it about him. Uh, he he will be one to have a bit of needle when needed. Um, right back, Tommy Smith, uh, who season before Wagner came in, most people had written off as being the worst player in the team. Last season was in the championship player, the championship team of the season because the work the manager done with him was remarkable. It was night and day. The performances, his relationship with Kachunga down the right was one of the tent poles of of their success, um, and that came out of nowhere. And essentially, um, having asked him about it, he says that the manager came in and goes, "You're better than this. Why aren't you playing better football? You don't trust yourself enough." kick on a bit and he did so so Wagner's man management is obviously very good as well um, and they've just brought in Matthias Jorgensen who goes by Zanka because apparently somebody compared it to somebody at a co-runnings once and now he puts it on the back of his shirt and <laughs> has adopted it as his name I think that's probably because there's about eight Jorgensens in the Danish team so it's easy for him to differentiate but they bought him for three million I think from Copenhagen he's an international class defender played you know decent Champions League minutes uh he was in the Champions League last season but he's you know came in he's got a reputation as the most hated player in Denmark because I think he's got a bit of an ego and has maybe talked a bit of shit while he was over there he, he seems like a he's one of those players that has constantly got a bit of a an evil smile on his place when he's on the on the field um but he's he reminds me a little bit of early Eunice Kabul in that he's obviously very talented but he knows it and that's his greatest weakness because he tries the odd Hollywood ball every now and then that goes awry that he shouldn't do and he's at his best when he's just um just doing the basics when he tries to do a bit much when he tries to think he's better than he is he ends up getting caught out and uh he needs to stop doing that because it really pisses me off well, with this sort of organisation, this rigidity and such that you've sort of touched on before, mm-hmm. if we are still missing, say, Christian Eriksen, hey, one of our more kind of cold. creative players, well, but if if he's not, would you would you worry about our our ability to break Huddersfield down? Because we haven't been, yeah, you know, we have we we have been pretty possession heavy, but light on meaningful chances created this season you probably could say I mean even you know even in midweek in the Champions League like we said earlier 
it was more about Harry Kane capitalising on on golden opportunities. And you could probably even say the same against West Ham, that it was more a case of us, you know, really, again, capitalising on half chances just because we have the quality to do that. But I do think an overriding concern of our team so far has been that that real ability to to cut through other teams sort of incisively, especially when yeah. teams are set up quite well. Mm. Um, is this something that you, could, you, you can foresee Spurs coming unstuck against? I actually think both teams are similar in who they play well against in that neither team is particularly great at teams that defend deep and have no ambition going forward. Um, we've seen it countless years with Tottenham now, it's not just this season and it's something that was really starting to play on Huddersfield last season uh, I think when Newcastle came to the John Smith's end of last season Rafa Benitez did a bit of a job on Wagner by just doing that typical reactive, everyone behind the ball hit him on the break type of performance they got a shit penalty that wasn't a penalty and they scored a couple on the break, I think they scored like a tapping really late on because Huddersfield had over overcommitted trying to get an equaliser um, and that's what works against Town and Town I think they'll probably give Tottenham the ball because David Wagner's not suicidal um, but what he likes to do in a very Pochettino manner is he's all about speed of transition from defence to attack high pressing and forcing the other team into mistakes more than just simply tackling so it's all about painting the other team into difficult corners getting the ball out of it and making an attacking opportunity as soon as possible from those positions. And I think that's almost identical to what Tottenham's philosophy is. It's slightly different now, given we we play with more of the ball. Um, but I think it'll actually be quite an open game because David Wagner forever says that he doesn't change the way he plays dependent on opposition. He's not one to uh, go against the identity of his team or his tactics. Um, and that's true to an extent there is he never he'll never put out 10 men behind the ball and go for a nil nil that's just not within his genetic makeup it's not something i think he could sleep at night if he ever did but he will do variations on the theme so he will allow uh, another team more of the ball if you know they deserve it if it's in Huddersfield's advantage to do so he will put the defense a tiny bit deeper than he would do against weaker opposition he will do things like that um but it won't be a Burnley type of performance. It won't be a Rafa Benitez type of performance. There will be two teams out there trying to play football. So I do think Tottenham, if they're creative enough, they'll get plenty of joy. They've, Huddersfield have been opened up this season countless times, but because Schindler gets back and because Zanka gets across, because Lossell's been so good, um, they've been able to you know minimise the amount of times that that has hurt them. But that said, they've not played an opposition of the class of Tottenham yet. So maybe they, they haven't, those half chances haven't been turned into goals at the rate that a team like Tottenham do. Um, so it's it's going to be an interesting one. I actually think it's a good match on paper for both teams. Um, I think far and away Tottenham are the favourites and they should be and there's no reason why they shouldn't win this by three or four, to be quite honest. I watched a... You know, a Fulham team who just played positively last season ripped Town apart twice just because they were better at their own game than Huddersfield were. And I think that's the way of beating them. Playing fire with fire. Um, 
and yeah, I think that's the way it goes. Uh, I'd be very surprised if if either team is is any more defensive than they are usually or play any differently. It'd just be a a case of what personnel is available, if anything. Are there any sort of because it generally seems to be the case that Spurs are the team that concede the goal to the bloke that has carried some sort of hoodoo or you know hasn't scored in fifty seven years. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Is or something like that. Is there anyone in particular on Huddersfield's books that it would be? You know, so imagine like Didier Zakora for Spurs. Yeah. Um, it would be Colin Kwana, um, who was bought as a centre forward and now plays on the wing. <laughs> uh, which I think tells you all they need to know. He's he's sort of a, a cult hero in the way that Soldado was, just because he's sort of inept but lovable. Um, he's really quick. He's terrible on the ball most of the time. His first touch is questionable. There's a bit of Musa Sissoko about him. He's sort of a running joke. Um that said, Huddersfield, the only time Huddersfield didn't win this, didn't get a positive result this season, was when he wasn't in the squad. So perhaps he's better off the bench and things than people give him credit for. But the thing that people don't forget is that in the away leg against Sheffield Wednesday, when Huddersfield were one 0 down, Colin Connor came on and turned the game. He was he suddenly turned into prime Thierry Henry for ten minutes, and nobody knows why, and it hasn't been seen since. It was really weird. Um, on the opening day of the season as well, he uh, he broke against Palace and set up Steve Munier for his second goal. So there is quality in there. It just comes at the least expected moments. He has scored goals. It's not quite a Zakara, Scott Parker type of situation. But if there's anyone who, you know, people would laugh at and they would be seen as a bit of a joke that he'd scored and a winner or anything, it would it'd definitely be a big, big call. So that's who, uh, that's who you put your money on then? I'm not sure if he's fit or not. That's the only question. Uh, but if he is fit, he'll be off the bench if he if he does come on. Uh, but big call is, uh, is, is the man. If, if it's going to go total Spurs, then it'll be 1-0 Colin Kwana, yeah. She's saying, but you, you still think you're going to say, what, 3-0 Spurs? I've been saying 10-0 in the office, but um, yeah, <laughs> I'll take three for definite. Um, I just think it's one of those matches on paper that that, that Spurs do well in. Uh, if a if a team that aren't as good as Tottenham try and play football against them, then we fuck them up, and that happens time and time again. You know, we've seen going away to likes of Stoke and shit that that happens, and um, you know, 
I wouldn't be against it happening again, to be honest. I, I think that's probably the most likely thing. Huddersfield are due a spanking. Um, people are aware around here that they are going to cop one or two in the Premier League. They copped one or two in the Championship and still did well. They've got more than enough points for, for what they've played at the minute. Um, and I think people are fairly content with that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no excuse for Tottenham not to win this game. And there, there should be serious questions asked if they don't. Right, Raj Baines, thank you for coming on Rule the Roost and uh, good luck with the book as well, mate. No, it was nice speaking to you. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you very much, Raj Baines. Um, yeah, it should be an interesting game, this one, mate. I mean, I'm not... They have been doing quite well, haven't they, Huddersfield? I think it'd be, it's been... Nice. Yeah, it's been nice to sort of look on and see the sort of story. I think it's one of those ones that's really decent for the... Yeah, it's nice for the fans and all that kind of thing. I think it sort of seeing from the outside a group of people that are, you know, have been following a team that probably has no actual, you know, aspiration. Well, <laughs> every team's got aspirations, but in respect to, you know, I don't think anybody follows Huddersfield Town for anything other than, you know, local pride or family allegiance. You don't. Yeah, follow a team sort of like that because you think that one day they're going to be in the Premier League and, you know, maybe challenging or anything like that. And to see them kind of not only in the Premier League now, but doing what they're doing. Yorkshire's only club up here. It's 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 pretty heartwarming. It is, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not sure there's too much to get out of bed for unless, <laughs> you know, town are doing well around here. So it's uh, giants of shit and all that. So, um yeah, the star is really nice and everything like that. I've, apparently, there's a book being written about it. Um, I've not heard about much about that though. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a nice story. At least it's not Leeds. Yeah, oh God, yeah, because we, we all like Leeds come. Do they do they sing that up at town? They sing all sorts of shit. They sing uh, "Who's That Knocking on the Window," uh, which is about Leeds not getting into Europe anymore. Uh, and are yeah. Leeds their big rival? Yeah, mate, it's half an hour down the road, of course it is. It's West Yorkshire's yeah, I was, I biggest one. So, yeah. yeah, must be like that. It's their, but that's their Arsenal, right? Yeah, it was slightly strange because I think in years gone by when Leeds were better, it was more that Huddersfield were their West Ham. Yeah, uh, yeah. But now that they've got a lot shitted, it's sort of become a legitimate rivalry again. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's one that's picked and troughed through the years and everything. I mean, Huddersfield are a club with history. They've got more league titles than Tottenham. Um, they've, you know they were the best team in the world in the twenties. So um, it's it's had its moments. It's not as if it's a complete and utter nobody that's come up. Uh, it's not Bournemouth or anything. So <laughs> there there is uh, or Man City. Yeah, quite. Uh, so there there is um there is things. I think Huddersfield and Man City have actually got quite a bit of rivalry because they used to be in the lower leagues together a lot, um, and obviously just over the Pennines in almost equidistant from Leeds is Manchester. Um, and there's quite a famous 10-1, I think, City beat Huddersfield in like League 2 or something a few years back. So uh, maybe the old Division 2. So there's a bit of tastiness between the two, I think. You are, are you expecting Huddersfield to get a, get a result against City or anything? Not, City? Yeah, knock Pep off his... Off I mean, perch. Well, they played them in the FA Cup twice last year. They took them to a replay. They should have actually won the first leg at the John Smiths. They got their asses handed to them well and truly at the Etihad because uh, Man City just 
actually turned up and played the game properly. Uh, but in the first leg, they could have done them. They could have caught them snapping, to be quite honest. Uh, given how they're going at the minute, I'm not entirely sure that will happen. But uh, David Wagner's a smart enough manager to find a way if there is one. Can you, because uh, I know you've sort of joked about it in the past, do you reckon, can you see him actually stepping up and taking Pochettino's job if Poch ever does leave us? Is he the sort of bloke you'd want in charge of Spurs? Um, yeah. I, I think his character's fine for the club. I think his, the way he speaks and the type of figurehead he would be, I think Spurs fans would take to him. He's very similar in, in his figurehead status as Pochettino is. He never says too much. He's not one that wants the limelight. He's not a Sherwood. He's, he's very much about the club. The connection he's made with Huddersfield and the fans here is is remarkable. And that's large reason why he's still here he's had firm offers from Aston Villa and Wolfsburg and you know um uh, what's the word I was going to say illegitimate but that's not it. informal questions from other clubs in both countries uh, as well um so he's a manager in demand um and there are big clubs that have asked him but I think the quote he gave during the summer was that um the thought of somebody else winning games with Huddersfield Town at this moment in time made him feel sick. And I think if that's the sort of thing your manager is saying about your club, it's very hard not to really appreciate that and, and sort of fall for him a little bit. And I think Huddersfield fans have well and truly. Um, he's tactically aware enough and everything he does is, is fantastic. He's, the only thing I would think would have questions of is obviously he's never apart from being promoted he's never won anything but he's obviously shown the ability to step up to any challenge that's put in front of him uh their start to the Premier League proves that um he's done well in the market but that's twice on a limited budget I wouldn't know I mean Tottenham do have a limited budget in some senses but it's less limited than what Huddersfield is um so those are the type of things sort of it will be again we'll be hiring a manager who will be taking by far his biggest job um in a similar manner so there will be a certain amount of leap of faith there there will be a a bedding in period that will be required but he similarly you know similarly puts faith in youth he similarly plays attractive positive football he constantly talks about his want to not only win football matches but entertain the people that are there to watch them um one of my favorite things he says is that um if both teams to wear if both teams were to wear the same kit or you were just to hear the way the football was being played he'd want the brand of football Huddersfield play to be synonymous with the team and with the town so regardless of shirt and identity you would know who Huddersfield are who Huddersfield town are because of the football they're playing and I think that's a really nice way to look at the game yeah that's decent because um, it's he's less yeah. of a uh, of a try hard than Klopp as well I know a lot's made of their friendship but he's clearly better at putting a defence together and he's not one to go making a tit of himself for no reason on the touchline he's a little bit less of that there's been one once or twice where he's gotten himself in trouble for running on the pitch to celebrate with the team but I think that is genuine sort of he couldn't hold his emotions in. Um, I, I do veer than... between, I was just going to say, I do veer between sort of really thinking, uh, you know, Klopp's actually all right to just finding him a complete bell end. He, he has weird mood swings. That's what I can't get a head and a tail of is, you know, one time in a press conference, he'll want to be doing jokes and cracking off and he'll play the game and be all happy as Larry. And then the next minute, He'll, you know, some. I think somebody asked him. They shouldn't have asked him because it's a shit question. But somebody asked him, um, 
if there's any of his players he loves because Pochettino had said he loved Harry Kane, essentially he told the reporter that asked him to fuck off, said it was a waste of time. Um, <laughs> whereas most managers would play along with it. I think he's, you know, sarcastically said he loves Harry Kane as well at one point, which is obviously all the reporter was looking for to have his head his uh, headline. But um, it's one of those where, you know, you probably think he would, you know, walked on water if he was your manager, but he, uh, he probably rubs you up the wrong way because he's at a club you're not necessarily too fond of. He does seem to be falling foul of, of them up there a little bit at the moment. But anyway, fuck, fuck club, fuck <laughs> Liverpool, fuck Huddersfield as well. We're going to smash him 4-5-0. Um, let's have a look at some of these listener questions. Right, uh, we have had one from Shuban. Uh, at the real shoe band, who said, "What did you think of Harry Winks last night? Are he and Christian Eriksen starting a solution for teams that sit deep against us?" Um, I sort of yeah had a little chat about him, how he played against Apo Apoel. Um, quite liked a few of his probing passes. My my, my one concern, I thought his um, I thought his partnership with Dyer was pretty decent. Although I did worry that they didn't really provide a lot of protection to our back line because Apple did seem to cut through us quite a few times. Um, I mean, that's a sort of side point. I guess to, to answer Shuban's point first, uh, what did you think of Harry Winks? I thought it was really good. I'm really happy he's back fit and another option. Uh, we talked about Sissoko before, and if, if it's a choice between the two of who plays um, who plays deep, because Dembele is missing, it'll be him. Um, I just think he brings more. There's obviously development to his game that is still there. There's obviously a higher ceiling and a larger rope attached to him just because he's, again, one of our own and, and all that sort of shit. But um, I think he's fantastic. It's a shame he got injured when he did because he was really kicking on. And I think that slightly slowed him down a little bit. But he seems to be picking up where he left off well enough. Um, so I've got no complaints about him whatsoever. Mini English Modric? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. The last the last player that uh, got that sort of a hype up was Jack Wilshire. Um, he got compared to, who was it they were comparing him to? Xavi and Iniesta? Yeah. And um, what's he now? A League Cup player. So mm, I wouldn't go that far, no. That's a bit miserly, mate. Yeah. I think he'd be very good, but I don't want to suddenly give him, you know, kill him with uh, self confidence. He's got a pretty decent ceiling now, hasn't he, Winksy? What'd you say? He's got a decent season? He's He's got a decent ceiling. Oh, right, right. Ceiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll be fucking fine. I think he'll be fine. Um,. Pochettino obviously likes him. There's obviously a, a space for him naturally in the team. He brings something to the team that nobody else really does. So he's a, a valuable member and somebody who should get serious minutes in against different sorts of opponents. I would have started him against Burnley. That's the type of team that I think he would have done better against just moving the ball a bit quicker. Um, so there is a, a definite place for him in the team. Lloyd Wheeler at Lloyd Wheeler asks... Is Danny Rose beyond a Vertonghen-esque resurgence in your eyes or is the damage done? Well, I disagree with the premise of the question that Vertonghen needed any sort of resurgence because I still maintain that that whole him downing tools and body language and all that is dog shit because um, fucking Tim Sherwood. 
Uh, I mean, it, whatever way you feel about it, it doesn't compare to having a clandestine meeting with the fucking sun and <laughs> slagging off your team and teammates, really. Yes, yes uh, I completely agree. Um, I don't know. It's a really odd situation because, you know, the timing of the Danny Rose thing we've talked about, we talked about at length. Uh, Pochettino mm-hmm. seems to be saying the right sort of things about reintegrating him, but he's still crocked. So I don't understand why he thought he would be getting a move or what he would be achieving in the middle of what could be sort of a career questionings span of injuries i think from from a fan perspective i think there's every chance that you know danny rose comes back into training and shows you know because the, the lad is class it doesn't take away from that shows a lot of the qualities that he's displayed over the past couple of seasons and makes his way back into the first team um and you know arguably brings something to the to the team that we don't get from Davis and vice versa. I think Davis is sort of staking his own place. In, I think uh, all it takes for the fans to be back on board the Danny Rose train is one or two bad games from Ben Davies. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, but I think, you know, if, if he's playing well, so be it. But in in my sort of heart hearts, you know, in terms of like a resurgence, he may well have that, but it's always going to be, I mean, the example I'd use, it's, it's not really fair to tar Robbie Keane with this sort of brush, but in the same way that before the whole Liverpool thing, Robbie Keane, in my eyes, was going down probably as a sort of Tottenham demi-legend of sorts. I've but said now, it before on the podcast, uh, the day Robbie Keane left Tottenham is the day I realised that we shouldn't be placing any... Uh, yeah any sort of hope on anyone having loyalty to the football team that really broke my little childish heart. Well, that's it. And he just, he sort of tarnished it forever. And I, I in and my opinion, came back at least, in about two months. Yeah. But in, in, in my opinion, I think that's, you know, that's what Rose has done here. Really. I think he's sort of, you know, barring him really sort of having a really, if he's this big, you know, I say what I say and I stand true to everything character, you know, like he says he is. He comes out and says something similarly the other way and has a real earnest and heartfelt, you know what, I was a bit pissed off. I'm mates with Carl Walker. It happened to him. I lost my head a bit. But actually, you know what, it was a bit silly of me and I was actually a bit of a dickhead. I shouldn't have done that. I would sort of think, you know what, fair enough. But at the moment we've had like, what, a very stage-managed apology... It doesn't really mean much, you know. Um, yeah, I think he needs to get a, a back-sized club crest tattooed on him. Uh, otherwise, I don't think he'll ever be welcome back into the first team. No, I'm not. I, I'm still not overly convinced that you know Pochettino welcomes that back in, given you know, given how hardline he is with stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, only time will tell. Really, we don't really really know what's going on behind closed doors, do we? It's been very quiet on that front because I think he is just in here and nobody really knows how long it is until he's back. Yeah. Fuck Danny Rose, bellend. Um, Colbot at Colbot6 says, Spurs race question, if money wasn't an option, what one player would you buy? Uh, uh, Lionel Messi. There we go, I'll have him. Uh, yeah, just to see what he can... That's the question, yeah. Play him on the left. See what he can do. It's probably reckon he can do a better job than some. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um he uh he he do you know he 
he wound me up a bit against Apoel. Why? Son. I don't know, he's just a bit of fucking Jekyll and Hyde, isn't he? Like, he's... <sighs> Dortmund's sums amazing. And then you have Apoel, so he missed an absolute fucking sitter. And just... Oh, that is Yeah, and just never really sort of got going. I don't, I don't know, he's just... He's a he's a strange player. He's a strange player. He's clearly player. one that knows when he wants to fancy it and when he doesn't. Yeah. There's a lot of ability there, though. There is a hell of a lot of ability there of him. We've said it before, though. That's where the frustration comes from, is because we know he's a very good footballer. He yeah. He doesn't show it enough. I don't know. All that fucking I miss Wimmer stuff. I think Did maybe as a pop. Yeah, there's a little bit of me that maybe just thinks he just needs to grow up a bit. I know it sounds really like Brexit dad, but... No, they were, like, properly, like, close mates. I think he was the only one that talked to Son. Yeah, I just wonder if there's a, you know... They talked maybe... about that little special group trip on to fucking, where was it, North Korea? South yeah, Korea. Don- South Korea. Not <laughs> to go full Donald Trump. That's the whole other trip there. Yeah. We could probably, you know, do with him going to fucking North Korea just to have a word. Vlad, <laughs> can you please stop with the missiles for two minutes? I know he's called you a rocket man, but we all think he's a prick as well. Exactly, he is actually a nutter, so I stop winding him up. Yeah. Um, Are we going to PC again? Oh, fuck no, I still genuinely, I think about that from time to time and it still makes me laugh. That's, I just love that, that lad's comment saying he fell out of his mate's his mate. <laughs> His mate was angry that he listened to us because we're too PC. Quite funny. Um, you wanted to... Let's fuck football off anyway. I'm bored of football now. Spurs are quality. It's not as fun when Spurs are quality. We can't rant and rave. Um, you wanted to talk about music, mate. We've both seen The National this yeah. week. One of my favourite bands. Uh, do you, just do you, Say your you piece, know, mate. Go on. You know, the new record came out and it's fantastic. Uh, but it's, you know... I think people get the impression of us and what we like, given what we talk about in other forms of pop culture. Um, and I think the national feed into that quite obviously. Uh, if you're going <laughs> to sort of write up a stereotypical version of the two of us, then that's probably the perfect band for us to be into, me especially. Um, Was well, he described as, as in WhatsApp, Sad Lads? Sad Lads, yeah. And they, yeah, well, they are the ultimate Sad Land band. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying lasses can't listen to them or anything like that, but um, that's sort of what they're pitched at. Um, I when I tweet people and they're and they're on about sort of oh, what should I listen to to get into them, my stock answer is pour out a glass of something strong. Wait till about one or two a.m. till you're the only one awake in the house. Put on boxer through a big pair of headphones and listen to it from start to finish, and have yourself a very good cry. And you know that's what they are to me—a a bit of a band where you we do just put them on and have a bit of a cry and and uh, and what have you. But they they are fantastic. I mean, musically, sonically, lyrically, uh, there's everything there to them. They. I've been reading a lot of reviews of the new record just because it's obviously new and a lot of people have been writing about them and they're a far bigger band now than they used to be, especially when I first started uh, going to see them. I first saw them around when Alligator came out in my early teens at the Cockpit in Leeds. 
Yeah. Uh, which is a tiny little venue underneath the railway arches. So you can actually hear the trains going over the top mid-gig and lights start rattling and shit. It's actually been closed down now, which is very, very sad because they couldn't find the funding they needed to fix the roof because um, I think it's Northern Rail who own the building were being cunts about it. So one of the best small venues in the country is no longer, thanks to uh, big business, uh, which is the way, isn't it? But uh, I digress. Um, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of interviews about them and loads of people compare them to Radiohead and I never, I've never got it. I don't understand where that comes from. No, I Just because they're sort of smart white men that play sort of somewhat intricate guitar music. Um, I don't get the parallel other than that. No, there's not really. I don't think there's an awful lot of crossover there. It's a bit of a lazy comparison, that one. I can um, see the Venn diagram of people liking both bands and being in the middle yeah. sort of things, but I don't I, I don't see the comparison between what the two bands are doing or what they sound like or, you know, you know, emotionally what they make you feel or anything like that. Radio head art, a band that, to me especially, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. There are one or two tracks I like here and there, but I'm not a fanboy for any reason. Um... But they, they, I just don't see that comparison. Andy Larson at Chopping Guy um, has tweeted us saying, I like all their albums well enough, but High Violet is the true sad bastard masterpiece, right? Um, I mean, I yeah, I'm, I, th- I think it's probably my, on balance, probably my favourite album, High Violet. It was, sort of came out just before I went to Iceland. Well, I think it's a couple of years or so. 2010, High Violet. Yeah, I was over there in like 2011, um, mm. but it was just, it was massive. It was played sort of quite a lot out there and, you know, it was a suitably sort of barren landscape that was befitting of that album. Blood Bus Ohio especially is, uh, is an absolute tune. Mm. I was very happy to see that live. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just, man, you know, I just thought overall watched them live. Like You said uh, it was a religious experience. Spiritual, close to spiritual experience. It was, uh, it was just, it was, it was insanely good. I just thought they were. Is it the first time really, you've seen them? Yeah, first time I've seen them, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of theirs. I'm probably not as big a fan as you are, but yeah. I'm still a fan of theirs. Mm. Um, did it? Was it? Did you find it jarring at all how uh, Matt Berninger's stage presence? Because he's quite sort of, um, he's, he's really sort of mag- magnetic but there's something quite um it's almost as if he's not present mentally while he's performing if you get what i'm saying to a degree i uh, no not really i i enjoyed it i really i really thought they were brilliant one of the best honestly one of the best live acts i've ever seen i think hmm. they just they were just very very tight very polished you can tell there's uh, two sets of brothers doing all the rhythm and guitars and everything because they're just it, they're just, they're they're perfect in time and everything. It's brilliant. <laughs> there's a good question here linked to what you've just said there, which is from Philippe uh, at Philippe Herman, who asks, "Who has suffered more heartbreak, Spurs fans or Matt Berninger?" I don't think Matt Berninger actually has suffered any heartbreak. I just think he's really good at making sad songs. I think he's actually happily married, um, which is really interesting. If you read any of the interviews that have come out with him recently, which shows you how much of a nerd I am because I've pretty much read all of them, 
Um, she was the um, fiction editor at the New Yorker previously. Um, but she's got lots of co-writing credits on the lyrics for this album. And the lyrics for this album are sort of centred around uh, relationship demise and sort of uh, rocky marriages and stuff like that. And if it was just written by him, you'd sort of assume that something was amiss. But the fact that the pair of them are written it almost seems as if it's sort of a writing exercise. Instead of going to mar- a couple of counselling, they've written an album about having marital difficulties, um, which is quite... Um, a New York artsy thing to do, probably. Uh, yeah. but it's really interesting. I mean, the, there's a song on the new album called uh, Karen at the Liquor Store, which is, you know, her name and co-written by her. And, you know, you can tell that they're aimed at people like you and I because I don't imagine there are too many rock bands in the world name-checking John Cheever. But, you know, there we have it. So, but it, it's... Uh, I think he's lived a life. I think it's really interesting how... You know, I think they were in their early 30s before they actually became the national as we know them today um, and released the first album on, I think they were self-released the first album. They all had fairly prominent jobs in marketing and graphic design, if I believe right, um, which is why all their uh, artwork design and everything is always really good and why I think they're, from all the times I've seen them, their stage design and everything was oh, it's the most brilliant. The the thing they did with the cameras before they came out on on stage was so intelligent because I was I spent like ages th- trying to work out if that was just a pre-record. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's clearly they've got live uh, they've got like little live video streams all over the arena to see what they're doing and stuff. And I thought that was really really intelligent and just a really nice little touch. Um, and not something you'd get out of other bands. So there's clearly a, a thought process that goes deeper than that, and they don't take themselves too seriously. And, uh, you know, if you follow them on Instagram, he does a pre-show defensive crouch before each one, which is really entertaining, which is him just doing a stupid pose and stuff. But I am a an absolute fanboy. Um, do, you, and, do you know what I really liked about them? Um, yeah. And this, this probably makes me a bit of a miserable cunt, but they weren't... Um, they weren't big talkers on stage. I like that. I like it when a band just goes and plays their music. I, I, I it irritates me a bit when I go to to watch a band and I start getting opined to about like a political issue or even just about you know their thoughts on you know the city or they do some sort of cheesy like oh it's great over here or but they just fucking got on with it. They just played their set and fucked off and. I was I kind of like it when a band does that. I don't, you know, I don't pay to sort of go and watch music and have to listen to them talk about stuff as well. No, no, they're usually um, like that. Yeah, I think they are fairly politically active because they. Oh yeah, fair enough they, to them if they are. Mister November's obviously a song about presidency. Yeah. Um, and they're very active politically online and stuff like that. They, I think, they did f- a fair few stunt performances for Obama as well because they're from Ohio, which is a big mm-hmm. area, obviously, voting-wise and stuff. Um, so they're, they're really outspoken in that sort of sense. I think I, when I watched a live stream of them playing Glastonbury this year as well, um, I think Matt actually read out the number of the local senator for, in Cincinnati uh, because it was during one of the many attempts to repeal Obamacare, and it was one of the times he was just trying to get people to ring up and you know lean on their senator to do better. Um so yeah, they they they're obviously uh, is that, and you know if there's anyone who thinks we're 
too liberal or whatever. This just feeds into it and underlines <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I don't have a bad word to say about the band. They are they do mean a, an awful lot to me, and all the records are, are, are big parts of you know my musical taste and, and landscape. Uh, Boxer especially, because it was it was Alligator that got me into them, and then Boxer's the one that really sort of hit home for me uh, during those mid-teens, because uh, it's very whiny and piney, which is what I think uh, a lot of teenage boys are inside. Boxer is decent. I think it's Charlotte's favourite as well, Boxer. It's just, just uh, me and your it's... missus have a very similar taste in music. Yeah. Mm, you marry her then. I'd rather not. I mean, yeah. it would end of the podcast. Yeah. Um, Me and I would do a better job of it, though, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. Um, Obi at on underscore woo asks top five albums this year. Stuff I don't even think of five albums this year, to be fair. Yeah, um, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure. Uh, I think, sort of, just off the top of my head, I, I don't hold me to it because. Uh, there'll be ones I've forgotten about, but I really enjoyed, yeah, the, no. J- really enjoyed the Jay-Z record, 444. Still haven't listened. I still haven't heard it. Oh, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, so that's up there. The Vince Staples record, I think, was this year. Um, I'll have that. Um, Damn. Damn was this year, wasn't it, Kendrick? It was the start I think of the year. So. That's, yeah, that's on there if it is. Yeah, this national record's up there. Uh there's another one that came out this year that um, I was a big fan of. Uh, Scissors album I really liked. Um, I know you're not a fan, but I really liked. Actually, I really liked London Grammar's album this year. I, I haven't really been a fan of their back catalogue, but I thought this was a decent effort. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not massively into them. It's not like a, a huge thing. It's just they've never really hit home for me for one reason or another. I'm not sure why. Stormzy's uh, album this year. Eh, it was all right. I mean, it wasn't my favourite by any means. I think um, Jay Huss's record was better than Stormzy's for me. Uh, that may be controversial, I'm not sure. but uh, I don't think so, is it? Yeah. Was the Loyal Karna record this year? Was yesterday's gone this year? I think mm. it was January. I think that might just sneak in. I'm going to see him on Sunday, actually. But yeah, he's he's fantastic as well, Loyal Karna. Uh, I'm not sure if it's top five of the year, but it's... One I've listened to a lot, but uh, Scissor would be up there. Yeah, I think um, uh, what's her name? Sid from the internet had a record out this year, and uh, there's a few R and B records that I've listened to that I'm blanking on now, but definitely sort of have enjoyed. I quite enjoy. It. I'm finding it hard to say like really like a top five, like a definitive. These are my favorite five. Yeah. I like. I liked. Uh, I know you again. I know you're not a fan, but Tyler the Creator's album I liked as well. I thought it was a bit of a return to form. Yeah, we talked about that. I've never. I'm never. Mm. I'm, I might have to revisit him because it's just something I've never. Um, it's a fairly different direction yeah, in some respects. Yeah, Bryson Tiller's record I enjoyed. Um, which is another sort of R&B type thing. I think Miguel's got a new album coming out. I don't think it's out yet, but I'm looking forward to that. But I'd have to think about it. I'll probably tweet him after I've actually had a look, and uh, and I'll, I'll tweet what my actual top five favourite are, because I enjoy doing geeky shit like that. I wouldn't, again, this is sort of like, it's the top five angle that's sort of... This is just the records we've listened to the most this year. 
Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I've got a bit of a, a guilty pleasure in uh, Lana Del Rey. She had a new album. Oh, no, I do well. like Lana Del Rey. I've not listened to that record as much, but I remember it being decent. But no, she's someone that I'll listen to. Yeah, no problems. Yeah, well, the the thing I, I think that, you know, she's often criticised for that I will agree with is uh, that, you know, it all blurs into one. Oh, massive miss. Queens of the Stone Age. That was a great album. Oh, of course, that? yes. Yeah. yeah. Apologies. The other Basically anything they the do. World. I know. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. exceptional. They're, I think they're... Queens of the Stone Age are the opposite side of the national coin for me. I think they scratch a very similar itch. I think they're itches that are neighbours to one another. Uh, those two do for me well Nationals what you go home and listen to and you're sad Queens of Stone Age is what you listen to and want to go out for a fucking tear up isn't it basically like yeah Yeah. they're uh, yeah they're immense I'm trying to think of anything else you know this year I've literally just googled like 2017 albums I'm going to do the same that might be an idea so many of them, I, I don't even know who the fuck half these people are, mate. That's when I know I'm getting old. Oh, Kendrick Lamar, oh, More Life was out this year. It wasn't top five, but it was all right. The Drake record. Super mm. uh, Semper Femina, the Laura Marlin album. That was really good. I forgot. You know, I've, I've never gotten on board with Drake. You know, like, it's just yeah. never never done it for me. Migos was this year as well. I forgot. Yeah. Coaches up there. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, you really like the Ed Sheeran record, don't you? Oh, I love him, mate. Joey Badass's record. To it. Oh, fucking hell, Thundercat Drunk was out this year. I thought that was last year, but no, that's again a fantastic piece of work. Oh, mate, I, I quite enjoyed. Uh, I quite enjoyed Bugsy Malone's thing. I quite like his voice. I know you hate him, though, didn't you? Because he's from lad. Manchester. Oh, one six one. Money on the map. Fuck right. off. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's meant to be a right horrible, horrible oh, bastard as well, isn't he? Um, Gold Link's album this year as well, fantastic. I tell you who I might surprise you in that I'm sort of on the fence with, I can take or leave, is uh, LCD Sound System. They've just, I don't think, I think I missed the boat on them. Like, I know one or two songs that I really like, but I've, there's not a I record you, I could you, push to. You, I thought you were going to say you quite like, no, I'm not really, I'm not. No, no, that, on the me. fence with them. I did, I, yeah, I think I, I, they're just one that I never hitched onto at the right time. Um, nor me, mate, and I don't. I just don't. Don't do it for me. Yeah, I think that's that'll that scratches. Have you seen any new films or anything in the in recently? Uh, Have you seen it yet? Because I went to go see it with my dad. I have, mate. I have seen it. Yeah. What did you I've think? Got... I don't know, mate. I don't. Oh, I, I can feel I, a hot take coming on. I didn't dislike it by any means. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, it felt. Do you know what it? <sighs> Felt I think Charlotte, um, so one of her work colleagues described it in a brilliant way. It was Stranger Things with a clown, you know. <laughs> it's it didn't really know what it wanted to be. Yeah. Um I don't think it was a particularly sophisticated horror film. No, um, no, 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 no. And I don't but this is the thing, I don't know if it actually wanted to be a horror film. It's got the whole sort of core tenant of it being a, a clown the clown sort of the central antagonist to it and clowns naturally lend themselves in sort of you know in sort of society and popular culture to being scary but i don't know if the film was actually that scary or whether or not it, wasn't, it was it wasn't scary i think there were a couple of moments where it allowed your imagination to think worse of what was actually going to be on screen. Mm. Um, 
I think it tries to do a bit too much. I don't really, and I don't really think it achieved any of it. Have you um, ever read the book? I haven't, mate. No, no, I've I've never read a, St- a single Stephen King. I've I've read what have I read of his? I've I've read a couple of things of his. It just feels Re- as if there's too much there. I mean, Stephen King is. I think it's worth bearing in mind that like he's a bit of a Dan Brown type author. Do you know what I mean? There's him like it's very trashy it's page turnery like i can i can can sense the tweets heading your way now yeah i know i know but you know it might it might seem that way but i've I've read Uh, read one he he creates like quite decent worlds i think isn't there a thing where all of his novels are in the same collective universe or something shit like castle rock yeah. yeah um but yeah so for example like you know you've got like the shining obviously and then you've got dark tower where one of the powers the kids have is the shining and that kind of stuff so there is there is all this sort of crossover um one of one of the films actually that i really quite liked i think i think it was like a straight to dvd job and i know that, uh, there's a series of it now but uh film one night the in Mi- paris four <laughs> the the mist um which was based on a stephen king thing I sort of enjoyed. I mean, it's it's trashy and it's got that sort of cheap finish to it, but I quite like that. Um, but yeah, Needful Things is the book of his that I read that as, until the ending, which just was awful, I actually quite enjoyed. I thought that was quite a good good idea. It's sort of about a uh, yeah, some sort of little shop or something in this little town. This guy rocks up and opens up a shop and gives people anything that they want, but Every time they take something from the shop, he's you know they have to give him something, and he doesn't tell him what it is. And you know, obviously, you'll see it's just I don't know, it's like a story about greed and people's desires and things. But it was it was all right. I mean, but again, it's just the reason I asked about uh, reading it is because I went and read a lot into the book afterwards to see what the differences were between the book and the film and apparently one of the biggest omissions was uh, i don't know if you've heard of this it's really strange when i fucking stumbled across it uh is that there's a gangbang after they escape the clown do you oh, right yeah apparently um stephen king has explained it it's highly uh you should google it now because i'm not making this up and you will think i am um Apparently, to signify their passage from childhood to adulthood, they all take it in turns to have sex with the girl after they've killed the clown in one of the sewers. And apparently it's like, because they're all supposed to be 12, 13 or whatever, it's like a really contentious um, thing because I think apparently like he takes 10, 12 pages to painstakingly and graphically explain this uh, child gangbang. Uh, But yeah, that happens. Wow. Yeah. Do you reckon I can get away with calling the episode Child Gangbang? <laughs> My, uh, I think if we say it three more times, the police are going to kick down our doors. I could do. Yeah. Maybe we... Uh, yeah, let's, not, let's stop saying Child Gangbang. <laughs> You've said it again, it's that like fucking Beetlejuice <laughs> one more time. I'm a bit scared now. Yeah. No, it's Candyman, isn't it? Yeah. That anyway. was scary. Um, what other films have I seen? Um... <laughs> move on from that quickly but i'm not making it up genuinely google it it's weird as fuck if you've only if, if like me you've only seen the film and uh not the old tv series or the uh read the book or anything then uh, do look into that particular storyline because it is fucked up what other big films are out at the moment i don't know i oh, think man think 
What have you seen? I've not actually been to as many as I do usually go to. I've just been quite busy lately. Um, let's see. I haven't seen it. I've got no interest in that Kingsman film. I know it's it's all very... Oh, Mother. Mother is what I've seen. <laughs> I've not seen oh, it yet. Oh, my God. Oh, God, mate. Right. The... Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, I love, like, I really like the director. I really like the director's body of work. I think the cast Noah. is brilliant. But, mate, it's honestly, it is up there. And I, and I say this to you genuinely. I say this, like, seriously. It's up there with one of the worst films I've ever seen. Like... Complete and utter shite, and it's not—it's not some kind of like oh, I'm wary of a film that's more art housey or I haven't appreciated it. Don't mind that. I don't mind that. And I think the the director's probably suffering from the fact that the studio have pitched this as and sold this very much as a conventional Hollywood horror stroke thriller with some sort of a cult twist to it or something like that, which it very much is not. From like, what I understand, is isn't it an allegory for Mother Nature and uh, global warming and the destruction of the Earth? Basically, yeah, and I think there's a few other things you can sort of, you know, I think there's a few other metaphors you can, whether they're intended or not, you could probably draw your The reason I've not seen it is because having read that and having heard the premise, essentially... It sounds like uh, Virgin at A level has made it. Yeah, uh, no, this really is clever. no mate. This is what it. This is what it comes across as, right? This and this was my um, biggest annoyance of it, is that I don't mind art house stuff mm. when you know something thinks it's clever or knows it's clever, and it actually is quite clever. Um, there was a film. Oh, God, I cannot remember the name of it now, but there was a sort of pretty art housey French film last year. Um, no, <laughs> uh, about like cannibalism and blah, blah blah blah. Um, and that was decent, but this, this is. I actually just know like, which film like you're you on about. Actually, I can't remember the name of it either, but I do know which one you're on about. And that that I, I quite enjoyed that, but this this is just like it's got delusions of grandeur. It 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 thinks it's this really smart, really clever thing, but like you say, it is just like. He's pitched it uh, to his mate in a student house having smoked too much weed. Yeah, Guys, exactly. Guys, I'm going to make blunt. a song. I've got gonna, an idea. Yeah, I'm going to make a, a film about the destruction of the earth with Jennifer Lawrence. Harvey <sighs> exactly. Biardem's going to be God. <sighs> Whoa, man. That's like, deep. Look at what BP are doing, man. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like, you know, just... Come on, fuck off. Like, it's... <laughs> no, it's... No, 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 no. I mean, it looks quite nice. I'll give it that shot quite nicely. What did your boy it's... Kermod say about it? Did he enjoy it? He did! Oh, fucking dickhead. Yeah, stupid fucking... Saying that, I've not seen it yet, that so there, there is every chance that I go in and it plays on every pretentious bone in my body and I love it. Uh, but I, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's dog shit. It's dog shit. I, I, it's not one of those you have to see in the cinema, is it? I can wait until I can watch it. No. Until yeah, you can definitely wait and watch it. I'm gutted um, that I haven't managed to see Dunkirk yet. I know it's still on places. I just need to get my arse in gear and go out and watch it. Yeah, do it, mate. 
It's brilliant. Um, what else is that American made? I don't. I don't know if I'll bother with that. Probably. Wind River's supposed to be quite good, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm quite tempted to see that. Is there any Blade, telly you've watched recently at all? Blade Runner's out soon. Uh, Gamora, the series, series Gamora. Um, um, Netflix. It's no, it's on Now TV actually. It was a Sky Atlantic jobby. Oh. Um, What's I'm the one on Netflix that everyone that. keeps going on about? The one that you kept telling me about. Sabura. That's no, no, it, was, it sounded like a Turkish man. Ozark. That's the one. Yeah, one of my mates actually brought it up with me the other day. I might actually have to start watching it. No, so my word's not good enough for you, is it? Well, uh, it's, it's been. That's where we're at. What's this fucking. <laughs> Five years we've been doing this shit now. Well, it's been validated by somebody other than you. I need, like, a second opinion. When somebody else goes, this is really good, I'll go fucking, all right, then. Maybe. It was after, you've got to admit, the maybe, premise... Maybe, maybe the old cunts, yeah, yeah, still got a bit of something about <laughs> the, it, right? You've got to admit, that the premise and the Wikipedia page is all I've had when you told me about it, and that is not a great sell. Well, you know, it's all right, you know. I, I, I like to just, you know cast a hook and let people make their own minds up about things. Yeah, I, I apologise. I know I can tell I've hurt your feelings. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I tell you what I tried to do the other day. Somebody was asking me about, like, uh, they were they were on about um, how they were just getting into, like, um, complicated TV things. Like, it was quite a funny conversation. A couple of years younger than me, and he was like, oh, I've never really watched TV series and stuff, um, or, like, big films and stuff like that. I've only, like, played PlayStation and shit like that. Essentially, they were having their, in a very wanky way, artistic awakening or something like that. They were well, just... It wasn't, like, fucking 24 or Spooks or something, was it? <laughs> well, that's essentially what they'd been watching before. Oh, like, right, oh, is, okay. is, is there anything that you uh, should say I should watch? So gave True the Detective usual. Season 1. Yeah, that Curb and um, Wire and uh, Breaking Bad and all the usuals are lined out. But I also started to tell him about Leftovers, and then about five minutes in, and I saw the look on his face, I realised that that is a television show that you cannot explain to anyone without giving the entire plot from season one all the way to season two, uh, yeah. all the way through the entire three seasons, sorry. Like, there's no way of just explaining something because that immediately raises about 100 different questions. <laughs> and you, you just essentially have to go, this is really good, it's really fucking weird. You've got to stick with it all the way through. After season one, you probably want to give up, but it gets much better. Um, I can't tell you much more other than that, and uh, I failed but to do let that. let me tell you this one thing, actually. I'll wait, and then I need to tell you this other thing. Is yeah. it that kind of... They all dress in white and smoke cigarettes, and then suddenly by the third season, nobody cares about that anymore. It's like, okay, uh, but yeah, it's weird. The third season is fantastic, but it's... Uh, if you've not seen the other two, and if you don't sort of just go with it, essentially, then uh, then yeah, I imagine it'll leave you behind. But it's one of those I imagine people either loved or hated. I was sort of more on the love side. I could I appreciate it for what it was. I thought it was I, the thing I was more impressed with was that they managed to rescue it and make it something actually enjoyable and worthwhile after the first season uh, than anything else. Cause I think. Um, What's his name? Lindelof's been given the green light to do Watchmen for HBO, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I would have felt much worse about that had he not done what he'd done with the leftovers than um, had he just gone straight into it after fucking Lost. Do you want to? Uh, I'm I, I'm gonna I'm, I'll I'll watch 
Watchmen. Um, yeah. It'll, uh, you know, I know I'll enjoy it. Do you want to... My hot take, though, mate. Here we go. Probably opening us up. I, I, I kind of feel like the ending in the Watchmen film was better than in the graphic novel. Oh, I hate the film. The bomb versus the alien. Yeah. I, I think it was... I think the alien was weird. I don't know. Graphic novel. Well, you, you kind of expect a weird from Alan Moore, don't you? Yeah, true. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I just didn't like. You film. hated the film, really. I, yeah. I just, I, I, the only film I've ever enjoyed of, um, what's his face, uh, Zach. Yeah, is Zach it? Snyder is Three Hundred yeah. because I think I watched it when I was a kid and sort of seeing the Frank Miller book that I had, you know, I've still got on my bookshelf to this day, essentially be recreated, um, almost shot for shot, in uh, on screen was fantastic. I think uh, it was sort of the first thing of its type that to do it that way and yeah. you know it was gotta, it was really good but ever since it was decent there's not one Zack Snyder project since that hasn't been a complete no. and utter abomination no 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 yeah. Suicide Squad dear oh dear I know we got pelters last time but just don't I wouldn't let him direct my wedding film never mind a fucking feature length Hollywood film Mate, I wouldn't let him fucking direct me going for a shit mate like, he's terrible can you imagine Outstanding. the mood lighting he'd put on you we're gonna frame this from the side and you're going to think about your dead parents while you're pushing it out. Like, Fuck off, Zach. And why the, is, why and is this in black and white? <laughs> why, is it, why is it in black and white, but with a fucking neon green strip light in the background as well? You know, that just manages to skip through the desaturation process. Mm. Oh, just fuck off. Why is everything so shiny? Why is, this, uh, why is it shiny but grainy at the same time? And why have you chosen four different, like, popular songs, like, badly cut together for this one scene? Yeah, I, it's almost as if somebody's given him too many boxes of tricks. He reminds me of, you know, when, like, a, a shit football manager goes to a big team and then, like, can't hack it because he's got too much money to spend. David Moyes at Manchester United. Pep Guardiola. <laughs> that's what he reminds me of. He's Moyes at Man United. He's, uh, he should have just stayed in his lane, but he didn't, and now he's dead in my eyes. He's just fucking Michael Bay Mark too, isn't he? But even Michael, uh, this is, I don't mean to say this, but I do at the same time. Even Michael Bay has got one or two films that I can still sit through. Like, Armageddon is a guilty pleasure. The Bad Boys franchise is a guilty pleasure. The Transformers stuff is all an abomination, don't get me wrong. He's essentially turned into making, you know, films where Hasbro can sell toys off the back of them and while he leers at young women. Uh, but it's uh, there's some some in there that I can still watch and enjoy. Mate, you've lost a few points there for me. you lost a few what? respect points. Uh, bad mate, boys. You're not, uh, bad, all right, bad Boys 1, fine. <laughs> the others, no. What about Armageddon? You don't like Armageddon either? Uh, yeah, I guess I'm against it, but it is fucking cheesy as fuck. Oh, of course like, it is, but... You like it in an ironic way, you know? Take it on face value. Actually, you know what? I, I think, I think The Island is by Michael Bay, and I actually quite liked that as well, <laughs> that one with, uh... What's his name? Ewan McGregor in it. Oh. See, it's all coming out now. Yes. I was well disappointed. I loved the Transformers as a kid, like the old cartoon and that. I was well disappointed with how shite it's been. The first one was okay, I think. 
Maybe. Old uh, Shia LaBeouf. Whole things are sort of like vehicle, like you say, though, for like selling cars, selling the US military, and sort of like <laughs> Western imperialism at large. And giving Sorry. 12 year old bonus. Yeah. Um, I've not said the word bonus in years, but I think it was oddly funny. Yeah. We should probably kill this one now, shouldn't we? We're yeah, talking we've about 12, on. child gangbangs and 12 year old bonus. <laughs> fucking nonce tastic. Um, there you go. There's, there's a title. There you go. If you do want to listen to any of the previous episodes of this non-statistic Rollerish podcast, you can do so on Acast or on iTunes. You can visit our website, rtrpod.com, where you'll find all the episodes embedded in there as well. Uh, follow us on Twitter at rtr underscore pod. Um, leave us iTunes reviews. Tweet as abuse. Do whatever you want. Love each other. Be kind to each other. Encourage each other. And uh, come on, you spurs. Fuck the Tories. <laughs>